and welcome. This is Trials and Tribulations. I'm Phil Airy and I've got my two cohorts. Sarah Owen Hughes and me, Faith Douglas. Right, well, uh, what are we doing today? Because, listen, we can't meet up again. We can't meet up again, people. It's it's really rubbish. I know. I know. But, um, we miss your face, but I can, Well, I can see your faces. And I and what are you drinking? Is it whiskey? Uh, no, I'm teetotal. You oh, should you? know that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You've got kids, Nowhere. whatever. A two-year-old on a hangover doesn't mix. It's not even worth it. I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going. No, this is um, this is my favourite type of tea. Actually, this is well rose hip tea, and I'm going to pull out my tea bag so you can have a little look at the the deliciousness. Ooh, look at that! I don't know if you mm. see that colour. Yes, like beautiful rose, pinky, ready. Um, ready mix there and this happens to be one of my favorite teas have you ever tried rose hip tea before do you know i haven't. I have oh, you have i haven't no not. no yeah well i love it because i don't have um a sweet sense of taste so i'm not keen on sweet things and i find a lot of herbal teas not to my taste i don't like the fruity ones they're just too sweet for me um so i tend to drink something that's slightly bitter and i think rose hip tea it's it's not bitter to the point where it turns your face inside out type of bitter, but it's bitter enough to, to for my taste, basically. And it's just such a nice taste. And I pretty much drink maybe one to two at least cups of tea of rose hip tea a day. And, you know, rose hips are amazing. They're totally underrated. They're really, really high in vitamin C, higher in vitamin C than oranges are. They're an antioxidant, so they're cleansing uh, really good for cleansing. And again, uh, it's great for boosting immunity and keeping our youthful looks. And I seem to be saying this every time we meet. I'm really 86, honestly. <laughs> oh, that, the, the rose hip tea. We all need to drink rose hip tea. But, you know, rose hips are amazing. I've actually got some dried rose hips in my, cu- in my cupboard um, with a view to making my own rose hip tea. Um, but I've not actually got around to doing it yet. I tend to, I'm a little bit lazy. I've just got tea bags and they're, mm. they're good enough for me. Yeah. Well, you I'll could get what... one of those little plunder cups, couldn't you, I guess? I, I do have one. I've just, I just, yeah. I just pick up my tea bag. I just put it in. Third <laughs> simple. I made a mistake once by making my own herbal teas. I've got this beautiful little uh, Japanese style teapot. So mm. you can put your flowers or your leaves or whatever in the centre of it pour in the water, leave it to steep and, you know, to taste and you pour it. And there's that, that whole Japanese tea ceremony, which I kind of love all that stuff. Um, and I made a bit of a mistake once because I thought it'd be really nice uh, to make my own chamomile tea. Mm-hmm. I picked all the chamomile flowers. Um, I think I got them from Horticap, actually, when I was growing all the herbs at Horticap many moons ago. And put them all in, and you know, it tasted horrendous. It was the worst tasting tea I've ever had in my life. I think I used far too many flower heads because it was mm. bitter. It was bitter. It mm. was face turning inside out bitter. It was not what you get in a chamomile tea bag. It wasn't when I <laughs> when I bought chamomile flowers and they say put them in. 
oh no, it wasn't like that at all. I think I must have got it so badly wrong. Um, so maybe I'm a little bit scarred. Maybe I'm a little mm. bit like I don't I don't want to I don't want to ruin my dream of rose hip tea. I think. But if you make mint tea using mint from the garden, that is it's unbelievable. It's like night and day compared to anything that you buy commercially. It's um, it's absolutely sensational. I, I, I like to mix in the different mints. So there's a bit of chocolate mint, a bit of spearmint in there as well. And um, and it's it's just re- so refreshing. It's fantastic. I think that's, well, that's my favourite tea. Is it? I really dislike mint tea. Do you? I, I'm, I love herbal tea. That is what I drink all the time. Mm. I really, really don't get on with mint tea. And um, it actually gives me a bit of tummy ache. And uh, mint um, is for our digestive system. Yeah. Drink it to aid your digestive system, but it actually causes my tummy to cramp, which is quite interesting. Wow. I tend to avoid peppermint tea. Um, I love it. I I don't dislike the taste of it, but I avoid it because it does actually give me tummy cramps. And it would be interesting to see if I was to pick some of my mint out of the garden and make it fresh from source. Yeah. Yeah. Whether that's a little bit different, actually, mm. I might give that a go. I, I think. remember on a, I went on a school trip to Russia when I was about seventeen, and I remember being uh, astonished when the the the, the, the mum of the house got a big bunch of mint and just shoved it in a saucepan with water and made us mint tea with some sugar in it. And it was the first time I'd ever had herbal tea, and I must yeah, must be about seventeen, and I just remember the taste bursting into my mouth. It was so delicious and so exciting. And, very different to hot Ribena, which was the only hot drink I'd had up until that point. <laughs> hot Ribena. Hot Ribena. Everybody likes hot really Ribena. A <laughs> it cures everything, doesn't it? Hot it Ribena. does. It does. Anyway, talking about herbs, I'm glad that we've uh, we've mentioned your drink, Faith, because uh, a couple of weeks ago I caught up with Andy Perry from Urban Herbs. And uh, let's have a listen and see what he's got to say about them. Today I'm talking to Andy from Urban Herbs. Um, Andy, it must be, I think, is it five years since we first met? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, maybe four years. I, four I, I years. think our first, um, we first met at Harrogate Flower Show back in 2016. 2016. Right, so four years. Because I, what I like to do at the flower shows, I like to turn up really early before yeah. it's open. Um, because I normally volunteer on the advice stand and I do a tour around looking at all the stands yeah. and I remember seeing your stand as you were setting up and thought uh-huh these guys are new these look interesting and what I was really drawn to was that you were using you were selling really unusual herbs that were not the normal herbs that people would grow in their garden if you know what I mean like strawberry mint and things like that and also you were placed next to the food hall which i thought was a stroke of absolute genius because it meant that people who were looking for foodie things people who go to the flower shows for foodie things could see plants and make that immediate association between plants and what they're about to eat or even better what they're about to drink and i watched through the the show as people were coming out having had all their free gin samples and going hang on a minute that would go brilliantly in that gin and yeah. how quickly did you sell out that year? Well, we, we turned up at Harrogate Flower Show in 2016, fresh-faced, young and naive. And uh, I believe my stand was empty. Yeah. 
nice Saturday night. It was, yeah. Uh, I seem to remember actually. Um, we were up to a fantastic, um, har- another fantastic Harrogate brand um, of Slingsby Gin. Yeah. And I remember that we had a selling out party on the Saturday night. Amazing. And, uh, but yeah, no, and thank you so much for saying what you just said about the link between us and food. Yeah. Because it's something that we are very, very passionate about. It might sound slightly obvious, but sometimes I feel like it has to be said. Yeah. We are fundamentally foodies that grow plants. We're not nursery people that have found a, a trend and, and therefore, you know, altered our growing to, you know, to meet that trend. Yeah. We started out being foodies. Yeah. And I hope that that excitement kind of comes across um, in what we do. Because so often when I meet people at the shows, I really, really miss yeah. um, uh, this year, is when you introduce somebody, one of our plants, let's let's just pluck one out of thin air and uh, let's talk about blackcurrant sage. Oh. When somebody meets blackcurrant sage, yeah. they smell the plant and their face lights up. It's incredible. It's incredibly. I, I remember exactly doing that myself because it was a plant I know, but I hadn't seen for quite a while, and yeah. I remember that exact moment because you you rub your fingers through the leaves and you think your brain and your eyes anticipate sage, and it smells of ribena, and sage at the same time. My first thought was how amazing would that be in an ice cream? Would it be in a cocktail? Would it be in a pims? All that sort of thing, and it immediately gets it hits your senses in a way that your brain doesn't anticipate, which is what makes it so exciting. Yeah, and the other thing is that we always say that the herbs that we grow are actually almost like gateway plants. Yeah, in that so much of horticulture is very, um, very serious. Yes and very earnest and you know something if you are um a plant geek like me then actually you find um the latin name quite interesting yeah and you find that actually once you go beyond that kind of superficial um level you actually get weirdly fascinated with good practices and uh, the history of some of these varieties if you are a relative newcomer to gardening, then that can be quite intimidating. Yeah, yeah, you're and absolutely right. We see, that, we see that quite a lot, actually, that, that people are very, very interested. I mean, if you go onto Instagram right now, you will see a whole generation of people who are very, very curious about growing their own. Yes. They're very, very confident. You know about the benefits that growing your own can bring? Yes. So they are very much curious they're willing but i think sometimes they're very very nervous about appearing ignorant and therefore being judged yeah absolutely years and years ago we were at a, a flower show it wasn't harrogate i can't remember which show it was at and there was a lovely guy actually he was a, an, an older grower and he had this banner behind his, his stand and in, in big letters it, it, it said um, come and talk to me i'll tell you what you're doing wrong and wow. I, I, I thought, I, I see what you're doing, but there is a, there's a whole generation of people 
that actually they're quite nervous. Yeah. They're uncertain, but they're willing. And as you just said, when they smell the black currant, when they smell strawberry mint, lime mint, chocolate mint, it makes it fun. It yeah. makes it accessible. Yeah. And I think that's magical. And the thing is as well, they're, they're kind of, you talk about gateways, that they're, they're kind of like sample pots for paint when you're decorating your house. It's one of the things that when I used to design gardens for people, I used to say to them, you know, I'm not here to judge your garden. If you painted the living room in your house and it was a shocking colour, nobody but you would know and you'd repaint it. That's what sample pots are for. They're a, a cheap way of accessing the bigger colour, the design for the, for the eventual room. But there is some sort of perception that if you haven't got a beautiful garden, people think you're a bad person. And it's not it's not true at all. You can have a go. All of us kill plants. I have killed thousands of plants over the years. But instead of looking at, at it as a failure, it's an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to put a new plant in in its place. And what I particularly like about, about your herbs is that you have these little packs so people can actually just have a go with half a dozen. And it's not expensive. And like you say, it's fun and it's edible and you get a nice end product from it and they get a good information sheet, which gives them you know, gives them the basic tips they need to know to learn how to grow. Because you've whetted their appetite, they'll come back for more and more and more. And it's it, like you say, it's bringing the fun and and the flavour back into into growing. So it's a fantastic and actually, you know, not massively expensive. It's not like buying a bonsai plant. And you think I've spent fifty pounds on this? I've got to keep it alive. You know, if you've spent four or five pounds on a plant and it doesn't live, well, that's the cost of a bunch of flowers, and they only last a fortnight. So I, I particularly like the way that you've you've positioned yourself when you're talking to people because I, I think am I right? Your background isn't isn't horticulture. You you don't come from a, a growing family, do you? What's no. what's the what's your background? Tell me a bit about that. How you got so, into this? It's slightly random. I went to university, I, I studied history and politics, mm -hmm. and I graduated just as the 2008 um, financial uh, crash happened, Yeah, and I, I didn't know, know what to do with my life, so I actually started working part-time on a, a wholesale plant nursery just to, just to make some money, and I decided that the obvious course of action was to do a, a master's in the history of religion. Okay. <laughs> at the time, that seemed like a really um, good idea. Yeah. And when you do a master's, you can't borrow money for your against your tuition fee. So I needed to find three and a half thousand pounds. Right. I had a, a flash of inspiration, and I thought, well, I see how things work on a wholesale plant nursery. Yeah. And I thought, well, I can buy in X number of plug plants. Yeah when I start my course, let's say in the September, and while I'm writing my thesis, the following April, May and June, I can sell them at farmer's market and pay for my tuition fee. Fantastic. And I, I passed my master's, I, I pressed send on my thesis while I was at a farmer's market. Wow. Uh, but, once again, the, uh, the job market wasn't my friend. And I remember uh, saying to my then girlfriend, my now wife, that I'm job hunting. I'm not liking the jobs that I'm going for. Yeah. Why not just 
carry on a bit. Yeah. Give it another year. Give it another year. Let's see what happens. And that was 10 years ago. Amazing. Um, and while I was actually doing that, that master's, I was essentially employing the, the same methods that you find on many plant nurseries. You know, you, there, are, there are certain ranges that you will grow. But what I realized is that as a micro level of grower, I could actually do things that the bigger producers couldn't do. Yeah. You know, you can only produce, let's say, 10 varieties, 20 varieties in massive bulk. But if you grow in batches of, let's say, 100, you know, 100 pots or 200 pots, 300 pots, then you can actually grow a much bigger range of products. And I actually remember the day I was sitting outside and I was introduced to something called pineapple sage. Oh, yeah. And I ch it changed my life because I remember smelling it and thinking, I think that's really cool. I think other people will find it cool as well. Yeah, yeah. And they did. And they've been doing so for the last 10 years. So, so you should now have a T-shirt that says Pineapple Sage Changed My Life, which uh, I, I, I think that's quite a good strap line for you as, <laughs> as a uh, business. Well, give it until tomorrow and it'll on Instagram. It will do. It will do. It will do. I, I love following you on Instagram because, again, you know, there's so much joy and passion and commitment in what you do. You can just see a fire in your eyes. Um, when you're talking about your plants, because they are your babies, you do care very deeply about them. But more than that, you actually want people to love them as much as you do. So, yeah, I follow Urban Herbs on Instagram. I follow you on Facebook and, and I have fallen into the trap, the rabbit hole of your brilliant Christmas marketing, because you can't sell your plants at this time of year when it goes into autumn. So what have you done this year, Andy, to to get people buying? Well, over the last um, three or four years, three or four years now, we've developed um, an alternative winter product. Yeah. And it is by no means a large part of our business. Yeah. Uh, in terms of turnover, you know, it, it, it's a fairly small element of what we do, but actually it's an element that I love and I'd miss if we didn't do it. Yeah. So what we actually do is we sell dried herbs yeah. as a gift set. The herb blends that we've put together, we've actually uh, blended different kinds of herb together. Um, talking to some of the demo chefs that yeah. we've actually met through doing shows like Harrogate Flower Show, uh, in the food hall doing the demos, and every single year, just the blends slightly based on the feedback okay. that customers give to us. Yeah. So it is an incredibly fun product. It's a product that we absolutely love the development of as much as the selling of, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also a massive fan of chilli, so a couple of years ago we added the chilli range to that gift um, gift availability. Yeah. We did an experiment where we grew a range of chilies and dehydrated them, and then we sold them as a gift set as well. Um, the the chilies themselves, they actually range from uh, what my wife calls mildly unpleasant to deeply life-changing. <laughs> uh, you see, I'm a bit apprehensive because I've bought this pack and it's on its way in the next week or so because I want to expand the palette of chilli and heat that that we eat as a family because my kids are now thankfully moving out of the beige food stage so they're actually starting to really enjoy flavours 
and um, they really love smoked chilli. So I've, I've bought this kit, but I have to say I'm a little bit apprehensive because there's some really hot mamas in there, aren't there? But there really are, and it's quite funny because actually of all the jobs that we do in the course of running Urban Herbs, actually drying and then processing these chilies is actually one of the hardest things that we do. Yeah, I can imagine. Because I always say to people, when you have a hot, a hot chili, you only have one of them. Yeah. Now, when you're actually dealing with, let's say, a kilogram of dried naga ghost powder, ghost chili powder, yeah, to put it onto the scale so that people can understand. I believe that pepper spray is around sort of two to two point five to three million scovilles, something like that. Okay. The naga is about a million scovilles. Yeah. And when you're dealing with it in that powdered form, yeah, it can actually be quite um, quite dangerous. Yes, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so we were actually saying a few days ago that um, me and my wife, when we were working with this, and actually my mom as well, in most normal years. My mum has been there every step of the way in helping me to process this. We were saying the other day that actually we were wearing face masks before everybody else. Sure. Um, we've got to the stage now where we actually have um, a kitchen that is accredited by a local council. So that is where we do all the processing. Yeah. And what we now do is we put uh, protective overalls. Yeah. It goes over your head. Yeah. And like a hazmat type mask. Yeah. Because actually when you're working in that environment for three or four hours, it's incredibly, uh, potentially dangerous actually. Yeah. It really is. And also, the, the story that I always tell people is that even though I've been working with these chilies all day long, I can guarantee you that I will take off my protective overalls, my face mask, do a deep clean. Yeah. And then I'll order the hottest curry. <laughs> That evening, because I absolutely love heat. Yeah. And I think the recipients of the chili box, I hope that um, I hope that they love heat as much as I do. Well, I, I I think there's looking at the boxes, there's some that are obviously extremely hot, but um, as we were saying earlier before I started recording, some of them are actually hot but very fruity and very rich in flavour as well. And that's quite exciting to come across chilies that will give you a completely different taste range and flavour range without burning your mouth off. You don't have to burn yourself and harm yeah. yourself. Just by using a tiny amount of the really hot hot peppers, it can still give you lots and lots of flavour, can't it? Absolutely. There's a, there's a, actually, in the chilli box, there's a variety, which is a smoked jalapeno. And that is, in terms of the smell and the flavour, at the moment, that's probably my favourite, actually. Okay. Yeah. Just because I love that smoky texture. Yeah. Weirdly, smells like Jack Daniels. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's the association that that's I find. It's interesting. Well, I suppose that's the bourbon cask, isn't it? The sort of the, the, the wood, yeah. aged wood, yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's not silly in the level of spiciness. Yeah. Um, the Kashmiri chilli is actually not, not as hot as that, really. And, and yet that's the one that actually really sort of tickles me when I have it. You know, that's the one that um, I can't have too much of. Okay. It's funny, you know, a few years ago, we were setting up um, to do 
it was a big a big shop in Glasgow. Yeah. And uh, the guys were in the in the hall, and they were putting up the stands, doing all the electrics. And this massive Glaswegian guy comes over to me, and he says, "I love my chilies." He says, "Come on," he said, "Let me. I'm going to have one of those before the show opens." And this guy has gone up one of the ladders. He must he must have gone up maybe twenty feet in the air, and he's just munching these chilies. Wow. And then a few minutes a few minutes later, I heard a slight clatter, and he's come as quickly down the ladder as he can. And he's just run straight past my stand with a bright red face. <laughs> and uh, he'd gone to the little shop around the corner and he was just drinking as much milk as he could. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little bit apprehensive because I thought um, this guy might be a bit unhappy. You know, he might yeah, come yeah. back and um, give me a bit of feedback. Yeah. And he came back about five minutes later and he said, I just had the Carolina Reaper. Oh, my he, days. Best experience of my life. <gasps> wow. And, and, that, and that's chili heads for you. That's, it that's is. how chili people are. It is. It's really addictive, isn't it? It, it, it? It's almost like an adrenaline rush, isn't it, once you get into those really hot flavours. But but like you say, you know, you, you've got the whole range in those packs. You don't have to go for the super hot ones. There are much cooler ones as well. Um, I'm yep. slightly, again, slightly worried that my teenagers may find the hot ones and dare each other. So I'm, I'm going to have to put them slightly out of reach to start off with. <laughs> But tell me about some of the other herbs that you do, because you know, I mean, I've seen you grow samphire before, which is yeah, you know, is is a saline loving plant. You have to grow it in salty water. Um, obviously, you've got your black currant sage. What else do you grow that really excites you? Which which flavors really excite you at the moment? Well, I mean, I I would actually say that my top five, if you like, yeah, changes all the time. Yes. And for me personally, growing things and eating things, it's very much linked to to stories and it's linked to where you've been in the yeah. last six months, for example. Yeah. So a plant that I absolutely love, and it's become a bit of a running joke on our Instagram account because I give it a bit too much love, you know? <laughs> the hot and spicy oregano yeah. is just amazing. Yeah. Absolutely love hot and spicy oregano. And one of the reasons that I love it so much this year, for example, is that earlier on in the spring when we were going through lockdown one, yeah. we experienced as a business, Urban Herbs experienced just a tsunami of business. Really? Um, it, it it wasn't gentle to be honest. Yeah. Um, it purely it was a, it was a it was a very, very strange time, just to digress slightly, because there are, there are going to be people listening to this that maybe, you know, are going through similar things now, and it's important that they they hear this. Yeah. But toward the end of March, things were actually so serious, because everybody thought there was going to be a bit of an Armageddon. Yeah. And a number of our suppliers called in invoices. Yeah. Um, the horticultural industry is a lovely one. Nobody ever asks for invoices on time. <laughs> You get, an in, you get an invoice um, that's due at the end of February, and you can pay it any time in June. Absolutely fine. You know, it's very old-fashioned. It's brilliant. But sadly, you know, all these invoices came in. Yeah. A number of shows either sadly financially collapsed or didn't happen and took a certain proportion of deposit with, with them. Yeah. And to be honest with you, me and my wife, you know, things got so serious that we actually had to have a chat, and we said, 
because we've taken so many pre-orders during the winter period, our number one concern was actually honouring the orders that we'd already received. Mm -hmm. So at the, at, the mid, at the end of March, we said, right, what we're going to do is we're going to get these plants sent out to be brutally honest with you before we went under. Yeah. Because it was dire. Yeah. We opened the online store probably around the end of March. Yeah. And uh, we, on the, the website, there's a setting that you can click. So you get a little bell notification, like a little um, a bell that rings when you get an order. Yeah. And I kid you not, within minutes, that bell was going off. Wow. And we went from having not really done mail order yeah. to processing 50 orders a day. 90 orders a day, 100 orders a day, 150 orders a day. And by the late April, early May, we were processing kind of in excess of 200 orders a day on, wow. on a Monday, on, the, on our busiest dispatch day. Yeah. And if you can imagine, we were doing our best to maintain the stock that we've actually got. Of course, yeah. And pack all these orders. Yeah. So the days just started to absolutely constantina. You know, it was, we were working kind of 18 hours, 19 hour days. And it was really full on, you know, working till midnight, being up at four. And the only time that we really got in the evening was for meals. Yeah. And we like our food, to be honest. So, yeah. you know, the meals are non-negotiable. <laughs> uh, whatever happens, meals are staying. Yeah. And... We, all, we, we were actually just saying this this morning, but during those meal times, we got to the stage where we weren't really cooking much more than pasta with something. Yeah. Because we were kind of burning that many calories every day. We just needed our pasta. Yeah. And the hot and spicy oregano that we were having transformed those meals. So it turned a kind of like get through it, fuel up kind of meal into something special. Fantastic. So for me, I just associate hot and spicy oregano with that early spring period yeah. where we were working so hard and, you know, it made that special for us. Yeah. It must, um, have, it must have felt like working at a flower show, but for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time, because normally you get three or four days, don't you, at a flower show and you get the adrenaline and you work long hours and you crash out in the evenings and restock. So it... How on earth have you managed to keep your resilience together? Because that's that's a long haul. That's six, seven months of uh, of lots and lots of ordering for you. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? It was a challenge. Yeah. It was a massive challenge. And actually, for lockdown one, as, as we're now calling it, <laughs> um, it, it seemed to go very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, we're quite fortunate in that we... We do like to keep ourselves kind of in quite good shape. And it was a good job because we really, really pushed ourselves in during that period. Yeah. But I think that the adrenaline kind of keeps you going. Um, my my wife was helping me out as much as she could. Yeah. Just around other commitments. And, and we were having to, at one point, manually process 200 orders a day. Phenomenal, yeah. as, well, as well as growing the plants in the first place. Yeah. yeah the basics so, yeah. like watering and yeah, repotting and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and Kate was having to manually populate 
a form to fill in the address label. Wow. Now, we've currently got a little bit of technology that means that as soon as I click fulfill on an order, the label comes out, all the paperwork just automatically prints out in the packing room. Yeah. So I'm not sure whether Kate will laugh or crow when she sees just how good that system is now, <laughs> given that people spending six or seven hours a day purely printing out those labels. Um, but do you know what? Like, it's for us, it's very much about onwards and upwards. Yeah. Because you mentioned earlier about the, um, the passion with which we talk about our plants. Yeah. And for me personally, once you know that plants have an ability to change your life, mm -hmm. you're kind of evangelical about sharing that with other people. That's so true. Absolutely true. You know, once you've kind of found something really special, yeah, you kind of you have to share it. Yeah. For me personally, I, I'm very very conscious that you know there there will be people who listen to this conversation back right now. Yeah. Who are not 100% okay. Yes. Because I don't think that many people are at the minute. I think that the the, the pressure level, I think if, you, you know, if, if you're just living life normally, yeah. the pressure level is at 20 or 30%. Yes. If you are running a business or doing a job that's severely affected by the impacts of this pandemic and the subsequent restrictions, I think that pressure gauge is going to be putting, pushing 80 or 90%. Yeah. Now, you can do that for short periods of time. Yeah. But ultimately, I think human they call it a surge capacity. All right, and yeah. Human beings have an ability to deal with uncertainty for a certain period of time. But there comes to a point where we all need something to look forward to. Yeah. We all need something to look at and go, right, so we're going to do that next year. We're going to do that the year after. Yeah. And that's why we're so passionate about uh, growing things because you asked me earlier whether I was from sort of like a growing family a horticultural family the answer is not really but my my grand she she grew up on a farm right and one of her catch she had many many catchphrases she was a bit of a straight talker um I always say that um you know, she didn't tolerate idiots yeah badly. yeah um which is a shame because otherwise me and her would have gone along <laughs> outside she, she'd absolutely shoot you down because she'd say it's not cold it's just colder than it has been recently yeah doesn't matter what the temperature is yeah it could be minus 10 outside and she, if you ever said it's too warm she'd say hey 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 winter lasts for 10 months in this country don't complain about a nice warm day <laughs> but the reason i mention her is that she had a, a go-to saying and that saying was the morning always comes yeah it doesn't matter what's going on yeah you know, and, and her mantra was, don't worry, it will seem better in the morning. Yeah. And we're kind of midway through autumn, we're just going into the winter period. Mm -hmm. And I think people need now more than ever to realise that actually it doesn't matter how cold winter is, spring is going to come. Yeah. And it's part of human nature that actually when you grow something, it's not just that you're growing a plant. You're actually planning ahead. You're yeah. believing that that's going to grow. Yeah, you're an optimist. You're mentally, actually, sort of, I'm just looking out the window here where we're 
in the process of hopefully trying to build a new sort of little um, kitchen, garden, eating space mm -hmm. next to our polytunnel. Yeah. Now, due to the current restrictions, it will just be me and my wife cooking a lot of homemade pizzas there. <laughs> but um, to believe in growing is to believe in a better tomorrow. Yes. And has there ever been a time when we need to do that more? I don't think there is. No. No, absolutely. And I, I'm I'm really, really passionate about this as an issue. As a, as Urban Herbs, we very, very much operate by a very, very simple rule. And it sounds quite obvious, but I'm not sure that it is. We always say that we define ourselves by what we are rather than what we are not. Yeah. Because I feel that the world is... Maybe it always has been, but now more than ever, perhaps. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to be an activist, and it's very easy to um, to throw bricks and say, "Well, you know, I'm, I, I hate people that use plastic, or wh whatever the issue is." And it, it's a legitimate concern. Mm -hmm. It's one that's very, very close to our hearts. But ultimately, you have to be the change that you want to see. Actually, when you grow plants, when you grow your own food, you grow your own flavour, it's a really, really positive difference that you can make. Yeah. You know, I've just said to you about all the, the benefits that it gives to you as a person, mm -hmm. but actually it benefits your personal environment. Yeah. It makes your living space just a little bit nicer. Well, it's, it re re it's releasing oxygen, it's absorbing carbon dioxide, absolutely. and particularly with herbs as well, where you've got all those essential oils, so you're looking at the plant you're smelling it you're tasting it you're touching it it's a massive sensory stimulus and if nothing else and i, I firmly believe uh, as as you do that that gardening is incredibly valuable for people's mental and physical well-being but if nothing else it distracts you for a moment even if the smell of crushing yeah. some of those sage leaves and smelling them as you're walking through the garden or running your hands through some lemon verbena or whatever it is it distracts you and takes you away from wherever you are inside your head at that particular moment yeah. and that even if it's a momentary sensation that can be enough to just take you away from whatever you're feeling and however difficult life is and I, I've, I've seen so many cases where people have really been able to access and recover from negative thought cycles through that sensory yeah. interaction with plants yeah big time and do you know what i um we've i've talked to you before um at the uh, at the shows many times and you you might know me well enough to know that I'm a little bit tight when it comes to money. I hadn't noticed. I, so, I almost thought you were a Yorkshireman when I first met you, Andy, if I'm honest. The accent, the accent gave you away as not being, I but I, I, I did think there was a bit of Yorkshire there. Yeah, I didn't like to say. But, um, <laughs> one of the things that I'm really, really... I, you know, I've listed just now all the benefits, I believe, that actually growing your own flavour brings. Yeah. But, you know, and they're, they're very true and they're very wholesome. Do you know what? If you do it right, you can save yourself money as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, I'm going to hold my hand up. I'm, I'm guilty of being a gardener, right, in that I love growing things, right, and just outside the window, right, there's some some potatoes we've put in, and all being well, they look like they're going to be ready for Christmas. Yay. Right? Now, I must have spent hours getting that bed ready. Yeah. 
weeding them, firming them up in the early stages, watering them, doing all this, that and the other. Mm -hmm. I must have spent hours looking after those potatoes. Let's say, uh, let's say in total, up to in their lifespan, so so far, let's say six or seven hours I've spent looking after them. Yeah. Now, I could have gone to a well-known supermarket brand that's just five minutes down the road. Yeah. And I could have bought an entire sack of potatoes for five pounds. Yeah. There is no way that I can argue that growing those potatoes saves me money. No. Now, sure, they, they give you all the benefits that we've just talked about. Yeah. But I'm, there's no way that they can save you money. Whereas, if you grow expensive ingredients in small quantities, yeah. that's how you can save money. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, this is a very, very geeky fact. A couple of years ago, there was a little, there was a shortage. I'm led to believe there was a shortage of French tarragon. Okay. A couple of the French tarragon big producers in, I believe, in the Middle East, Israel and um, somewhere else, uh, there was a drought. And the output dropped. So whereas normally you'd buy a kilo of dried sage wholesale for five, three pounds, four pounds, a kilo of French tarragon at one point went up to seventy-two pounds for a kilo. Wow! If you're buying it in smaller quantities, like me and you would in the supermarket or in the in the corner shop, wherever, a pack of little pack of tarragon, hmm. a pound, one yeah. pound fifty, something like that. Uh -huh. If you have one of our pots of herbs and you use it three times, then you're level. Yeah. Right? If you use it four times, you're saving yourself money. Yeah. By the time you've used it for an entire season, I reckon you've saved yourself a month's phone bill. That's how I look at it. <laughs> I love this now, logic. It's brilliant. If you grow 20 varieties that you use, yeah. not only does it actually encourage you to experiment, because what we find is that when we've got a pot of big, established part of French tarragon, we actually start looking through the cookery book and going, oh, well, we've got too much of it now. We've got, we've got to use it for something. And so we start experimenting. Yeah. The slow cooker is very rarely turned off in this house. Yeah. Um, so it encourages you to explore. It encourages you to experiment and also to eat seasonally. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, for me personally, that's very, very important. No, I guess there are kind of there's arguments that you can make that it would be good for the environment. And for me personally, once you have a relationship with growing things, the changing seasons actually stop being something that you're afraid of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. I actually now love every, if somebody says to me, which season is your favourite? I would really struggle to tell you. Are you sure it's not the hot and spicy one? <laughs> <laughs> know what i every single part of the year now yeah i absolutely love if i could grow basil the entire year round maybe i wouldn't appreciate it quite as much when i do use it yeah that's a really good point isn't it it's like english strawberries we shouldn't yeah. we shouldn't be able to get them in december you know that's that's one of those things that we've been cultivated to believe is, is essential and actually strawberries should be July. Yeah. The sun should be out, they should be naturally warmed by the earth. That's when we eat them. Mm. And then the, for me, the big question is what are you missing out on when you're eating strawberries in December? Yeah, huge amounts of the, of the nutrients, I would say, because they're being grown artificial, under artificial lights, like extend, 
extended artificial light and irrigation systems. So you're not getting the natural full spectrum of light that gives you the flavours. And actually, that's another one of my little hobby horses, actually. Mm. Because it's something that, you know, a lot of the people listening to this may or may not be, be familiar with. Mm -hmm. But actually, um, as a business, you know, we've kind of, we've expanded you know, quite a lot. And we now grow a range, a big range, I've told. We stock other UK-grown herbs. Mm -hmm. And we also have some contract growing done for us. Yeah. And one of the things that we kind of don't move on across those three kind of streams, if you like, is that one, the herbs have to be what we call hard grown. Yeah. For people that aren't familiar with that term, the herbs that you see in the supermarket will generally be what we call soft grown. Yeah. Well, that means, you know, they've been forced. They've been grown with a heater and with a grow light. And that is a fantastic business model because you can produce a crop in December. Mm. You can produce a crop on the 3rd of January when it's freezing cold, right? Mm. But part of this process of being forced in near-perfect conditions is that the plants haven't had to fight against anything. Now, whenever I'm having chats like this, yeah. I always have to drop a name in here. And I always have to say, my brother... He's actually genuinely, his job title is he's a doctor of space science. Cool. So he tells me all these geeky facts. And yeah, yeah. He was listening to me talk about this. Yeah. And he once interrupted and he said, well, hang on a minute. I've just got it. He said, it's like when they grow plants in space. Yeah. But because there's no gravity and because you can do the artificial light and what have you, they grow very, very quickly. Yeah. When they return to Earth, they kind of flop over because they've got, right. anything, they've got no strength. That's right. But one of the things that we won't move on is the fact that the herbs are kind of hard grown. Yeah. Certainly for a majority of their life. Yeah. So um, our polytunnels, we, we haven't got heating in there. And I wish that, I wish that we did sometimes because it's going to be freezing when I'm potting up in there. <laughs> but because they are unheated and we haven't got the light. Yeah. The plants will grow more slowly. Yes. And that's what we call hard grown flavour. Now, you just mentioned about, you know, the, the kind of the nutrients and the flavour. I, I don't know about the nutrients, right? Because I, I never like to say things unless I'm 100% sure. But yeah. if you compare a Moroccan mint that's grown hard grown yeah. with something that's been soft grown, yeah. the flavour is unbelievable. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that we just absolutely love. The fact that when you grow in that way, yeah. you can kind of buck the modern trend of like just putting more and more and more sort of cheaper, cheaper, cheaper yeah. ingredients. Yeah. You can grow something really strong and special and lovely. Because you're looking for plants that are going to last as well. They're doing some uh, research down at the University of Plymouth at the moment, and they've only just realised that you can grow herbs under LED lights, which are perfect for culinary use, and yep. that's what they're wanting is microgreens, fast yep. plants that are available all year round, which the restaurants in particular need. And they've only just realised that you actually need to broaden the spectrum of UV and LED lights that you use to cover um, the ultraviolet end of the spectrum. Far red light as well, but ultraviolet way beyond what we can actually see is the bit that really develops the flavour, the polyphenols in herbs. 
So they've been doing this experiment with basil and they're growing it under these extended LED lights and have realised that finally they're actually now starting to get flavours that represent the flavours that you get in plants that are grown outdoors and some that have got slightly more polyphenols, but they are deliberately being grown as a crop that is for either botanical use for medicines or for culinary use super fast, super fast. So it stands to reason. I don't I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've been asked this loads, but I get this all the time at the flower show at the advice stand. People who've bought coriander or basil in a pot at the supermarket, we tried to pot it on at home and grow it on and it didn't grow. Why on earth did it not grow? And it's exactly what you've just said. It's because it's been soft grown. It's been forced in an artificial circumstance. It's not had a chance to harden itself off. An unhappy plant in essence, isn't it? It doesn't taste the same as your homegrown coriander and your homegrown basil because it's not had that time and that exposure to the full spectrum of light that it actually needs to develop the flavours. Well, that is the, that's one of the that's the best explanation actually that I've, I've heard. I'm gonna I'm gonna reference this in the future. Fantastic. Well, I'll send you the link because I I, I went online and saw a a podcast from the Cornwall Plant Factory, which is part of Plymouth, and it is. It is mind-blowing, the stuff that they're coming up with, but it makes absolute sense. And there is a place for it. There's a place for rapid herbs for culinary use in restaurants. Absolutely no problem at all. But if you want something for yourself that's in your back by your back door that has no plastic, has no pesticides that you're controlling, you need to buy good quality seeds or even better, young plants from a, a grower who's growing them hard so you can actually enjoy them and have a full season. And, and again, if you're a good grower, as your confidence grows, you can take cuttings and you get them again the next year, which is even better. Yeah, yeah. I think it's actually quite magical. Genuinely, oh. I think it's, 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 it's magical. And I, I think that's why we've, we've got on so well at the shows whenever we've met each other, because we, we both love the magic of plants and it's, it, it's genuinely exciting. It's, it's really exciting. I cannot wait to see what you're bringing out next year, because I know you'll have plans. I know you've already mentioned your little herb garden that you're thinking of, of building so obviously i'll invite myself down when we're allowed to uh, for, for pizza and cocktails um but keep us in touch keep tagging us in and letting us know what you're doing because andy i think it's a really exciting business that you've got there and i know you've had some really hard long days this uh, this summer but you, you absolutely deserve every success because it is it's a it's a cracking business i really really like what you do and I cannot thank you enough for your time today. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. No problem at all. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. That's been another edition of Trials and Tribulations. Now, if you liked it, please subscribe and follow. But until next time, keep it green.